grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Bang, bang, bang went the hammer. And without even realizing it or intending to, Luther started the Reformation movement. It was 504 years ago today that Luther, a monk over in Germany, in Wittenberg, Germany, posted the 95 Theses, 95 Statements for Debate, and without meaning to, started a battle that was far more than what he initially thought it was at first. Because what he was talking about is not just simply a matter of indulgences, our church practices, but instead a battle over the very soul of God's word, over the gospel itself. On this Reformation Sunday, we talk about Martin Luther, but we don't focus on him because of the man that he is, or even particularly because of the things that he did, but rather a focus on him this morning is because of how God used him to be his servant, to rediscover the message that had been lost for a long time now in the Bible about how sins are forgiven and to restore it to the gospel. And for this we give thanks to our Lord what he did through one of his forgiven sinners by the name of Martin Luther. But it's also Luther we look to this morning. Not because of how God used him to restore the gospel, but also to for the place that he went to find strength in the troubling times that he had throughout the entire time of the Reformation. But you see, it wasn't just Luther who found strength in God's word by remaining faithful to it about all that the Lord has to say there. In fact, it's something that is true for each and every Christian of each and every age, that in troubling times we find the strength of our Lord to sustain us, to help us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path in the word of God. And we see how critical that is in light of our verses this morning from Mark chapter 13, where Jesus is speaking about the signs that point to the end is surely coming, and how critical it is that we remain faithful to the Word of God, because those temptations are continually coming after us. But as in this Word of God, we find the comfort that our God alone gives, so that we may be grounded in the truth that He has given to us of sins forgiven but also to, to remain standing on this word as we live throughout those signs accompanying us that point to the end. You see, in Mark chapter 13, it's one of the clearest places where Jesus speaks about what is to come as we approach the end in the season of end time that we are now in, in the church calendar season. And among the many things that Jesus points out, there are three things in particular that he mentions in our verses. Signs that indicate that the end is coming at a time that only the Lord above himself knows when that end will be. And one of them, as we heard in our verses, is how that there will be people who are claiming to be the Christ, saying that I am he, the promised Savior. And whether it's people who were actually making that claim that they are the one that did what Jesus supposedly did not do or forgot to do or didn't get around to doing, or those who say that you have to listen to what they have to say and what they uniquely have to share, because if you don't, you will end up eternally SOL. It is these people, we can see certainly fitting this category, who are distracting our attention from the promised Savior and claiming to be, at least in some fashion, what Jesus himself is as the promised Savior. There's a second sign that Jesus makes out to us, or points out to us, that of the troubles that we have in this life because of the unrest 
that comes from either man-made causes or nature just flexing its muscles, whether it's famines or earthquakes or natural disasters or kingdom rising against kingdom and rumors of war, you name it. It is these that are also a sign of what is to come, a sign that is not to trouble us, in fact, shouldn't even surprise us. But as Jesus compares them to, that these are just simply birth pangs, those reoccurrent pains that you expect to have when you are expecting a child, and as you progress towards the end, those pains are going to continue to some point or another. So it is as we approach the end of all things. These birth pangs are reoccurrent things that happen over and over, and shouldn't be surprised when we see them happening. There's a third sign that Jesus points out to us of these troubling things that we live in, and that is the the hardships we bear as Christians, or persecutions as it's typically called. And whether it takes the classical route that we think of persecution happening, which eventually leads or ends in, in martyrdom, or the more subtle kind, the more silent kind of persecution that we typically see nowadays here in our own country, We should be on our guard when those who are lost in sin take their hate against God out on those who call themselves children of God and children of his word. The thing about these signs that Jesus mentions is that these are a sign of all the troubling things that we live in right now. But they're not just here for a little bit and then they go away. Or that they only take place once we get right before the last day itself, and all of a sudden it all just expands like crazy, but until then it's just nice and calm and easy and easy going. No, but rather, as Jesus says throughout this chapter here, that they've been going on on a continual basis. That ever since Jesus' ascension into heaven, that these signs have been happening in one way or another in varying degrees of intensity, in varying places, in different places across the world, as we approach the end itself and what they are pointing us to is not necessarily that the end is a matter of days away. It could be for all we know. But that an end is coming. An end that is surely coming, just as God has said. And you see, Jesus, he clues us in about what is happening as we look to the end that is surely coming. Not just simply to give us a heads up of what to watch out for, but so that we can prepare ourselves, we can protect ourselves. Because these end time signs, oh, they sure are tempting. Tempting us to give up our hold on God's word and to give in to the troubles that surround us on a daily basis. When there are deceptive claims about who the promised Savior truly is or what it means to be saved, where does our attention first go to? We often first wonder if what the Bible says is actually true. Or we can question its very core teachings of who our Savior is and what he has done for us, tempting us to step away from God's word and to look elsewhere for those answers. When we witness the birth pains of the world around us, whether they're man-made or nature-made or some combination of the two, where does our attention often go? No longer on the eternal that is above, but on the physical, on the here and now. And even though, yes, they are very real and disruptive and frustrating, I'm not discounting that by any means, but the temptation can be specifically to keep our eyes on what is here and to forget what is coming in the life to come.
or when persecution raises its head in whatever form that it may be, the question is asked to every Christian. Will I pay the price to remain a child of God in his word or not? You see, any one of these signs by themselves is quite troublesome. Any one of these signs by itself is quite tempting and quite dangerous to get us to give up our grasp on the Word of God. But when you put all three together, happening over and over in different ways in different places for as long as we live in this side of heaven, that's something to be aware of. Something to be wary of. Because if they had their way, we would give in to them and we would give up God's Word. And if we give up God's Word, we also are giving up the gospel itself. Martin Luther knew how dangerous it is when you give up God's word and what can happen if you lose sense of the gospel entirely. As you may remember, if if you have studied Luther before, that is, during his time in the world history over in Germany, things were not all that great spiritually. Because of the technology at the time, Bibles were few and far between, typically only found in the homes of the clergy or the nobility because it's so expensive to hand copy each one at that, at that time there. And the biblical teaching that was based on them, given to the people and among the church circles, which much more likely to be based on man's expert opinion instead of God's actual inspired word. Now, Luther, being a doctor of theology, he knew both the Bible and the church practices very, very well. But it's when things came to a head, he realized just what happens if you give up God's word, you give up the gospel, and it all kind of came to a perfect storm when a man by the name of Johann Tetzel came to Germany and was selling indulgences to raise money for the church. And Tetzel was the, the, the kind of salesperson that you would find in the most stereotypical, worst way possible of a used car salesman, who would use every tactic out there, stretching the truth, using half-veiled lies, and people realized that he was definitely going beyond common sense. Uh, so it's not just necessarily um, something that was from the Lutheran perspective, but someone who was using some very shady tactics to sell indulgences. And it's with this practice that has no biblical basis of indulgences, combined with Tetzel's shady tactics, that the common folk began to see something that was entirely foreign to the Word of God. If they wanted to secure God's gospel for themselves, that they should do it by buying an indulgence, instead of trusting in what God had already done and said that he had did in his Word and hopefully was being communicated to them by the people. And in fact, it's in this that we see how those end time signs show themselves in all those different ways. While sure, Tetzel may not have been saying that I am the Christ, he was certainly saying that if you did not listen to what he had to say and you did not buy those indulgences, you were putting a person's uh, time in purgatory, at least, in, in jeopardy in something that was definitely, why would you do this? Why would you not listen to me? Foreign information to what the Lord was saying in his word. We know at that time that things were not the greatest health-wise. And the desperation, the survival sense kicking in of what needs to get done now instead of what's best for my eternity to come forever. And there was also the persecution, more of the, the peer pressure or the shaming that if you didn't buy this indulgence and help out those who supposedly were stuck in purgatory, well, then you didn't love them or you didn't care for them. And how could you do that if you loved your loved one who passed away? 
Luther saw the problem. And out of a concern for his flock, a naive innocence of just how he could fix the church by making it aware what was going on in Germany, he got out his hammer. He went to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and went bang, bang, bang. And it would not take long till he realized what this battle was truly about. It was not about indulgences or church practices or ethical sale methods, but this was about the Word of God itself, about the gospel, how a person becomes right in God's sight. We give thanks to God that our church today is in a much healthier position, that we don't have from the highest echelons promoting a false teaching with those who are going forward in his name. And we give thanks to our Lord that we have the gospel in much clearer light than what was done 504 years ago in Germany and much of the Western world. But the danger still remains. If you give up God's word, you give up the gospel. And when we remember how those end-time signs are continually accompanying us and constantly tempting us and telling us to give up this word of God, that even if the church itself is much healthier than before, how the truth could be for us, how the sad truth could be, that if I give up God's word, then I give up the gospel. That's a serious thing. But why is God's word so essential to having the gospel? To answer that question, I think of another thing that came out of the Reformation, the, the, the three sola statements that perhaps you are familiar with, how it is faith alone, grace alone, and scripture alone. How it is by faith in Jesus alone and not in anything else or in anyone else that we receive the forgiveness of sins and the guarantee of life forever in heaven. What a joy that is. It is by God's grace alone, not by what we do or who we are or in comparison to somebody else, that we receive all these wonderful gifts. This is God's love for us, that he gives us not just a Savior, but the means to be saved, that faith which comes to all those wonderful blessings entirely because of him, not because of you or me. How it is found in Scripture alone, this message of sins forgiven because of Jesus' life death, and resurrection, a book which alone has the God's mark of inspired authenticity. And because Scripture alone has this message, and because Scripture alone has God's own word in it, it is such that we hold it in high regard and high esteem, because the one who keeps God's word also keeps the gospel, a gospel that will go on until the end itself. You see, in our verses, Jesus not only tells us what to be mindful of and what to expect as we slowly approach to whenever the end is actually going to be, but also tells us the wonderful truth that this gospel is never going to become extinct or a distant memory. In fact, as Jesus told his disciples, that the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Not only do we learn that God's gospel will survive until the very end of all things, but also, too, that it's going to become public knowledge to all people. But you know as well as I do that not everybody listens to the gospel or believes in it. For those of you who know a little bit of history of the Christian church, you know how Luther's time in Germany while it was unique, it wasn't all that unique. 
in terms of challenges that the gospel has seen and how sinful man and sinful thought has tried to tear it down in one way or another throughout the, the centuries or the thousands of years that the church has been around. But if you don't know the details, you can know this. It's only because of God, because of our Lord above, that the gospel has remained intact throughout the centuries, throughout those challenges, and that the gospel remains to its original wording as originally written down as by our Lord himself. And as our God has kept his word intact in the centuries that have preceded us, so he will for the centuries that come after us until the end itself comes. And it's in this everlasting gospel we find God's comfort. Comfort to help you and me as we live in these troubling times, surrounded by the end time signs. Thinking of those three signs in particular that Jesus mentioned earlier, we see how God's gospel comforts us, and indeed as it only can. When those deceptive claims come up about who the Savior is or how we get saved and how we get right in God's sight, there's no question in our mind. We know who our Savior is, and we know how certain his salvation is. It's Jesus. And the one who believes in him is forgiven, is going to heaven. As simple as that and as true as that. When we witness the birth pangs of the unrest in our world that truly does disrupt our lives and make a mess of things, we don't let our hearts get troubled. Because we know that our God is there protecting and providing for us. And when it is our time that he will usher us to our home above in heaven. And what a great, wonderful promise that is. We think those persecutions that we bear, whether it's the physical kind or the more subtle ones that we see nowadays, we have the added blessing that our Lord gives to us in these words here, that we have God the Holy Spirit who is beside us, giving us the words to speak when under duress and comforting us with his abiding presence, that we don't suffer by ourselves or we are all alone. We have God himself who's with us. Oh, what a joy that is. What a comfort that is. And because you know this gospel is never going away, you know that these blessings are yours through faith in your Savior because of God's grace for you as told in scriptures alone that you are right in God's sight because of what the word itself says. That is the truth that Martin Luther rediscovered back in 1517 and what followed afterward during the time of the Reformation. And even though it was 504 years ago when he realized what was going on, he stood up for the word. He took out his hammer, went to the door of the castle church and went bang, bang, bang. And the world as we know it was changed. Because what was brought back to the church was the lost gospel. It is this message of how we are saved through faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, that is far better than anything this world could ever offer to us. And it is this truth which was restored to the gospel, that we, the restored to the church, that we get to live in and rejoice in today as children of our Father who know how we are saved and what God actually says and not what people think he says. But it is also this truth which comforts us in our troubling times. Luther was not the only Christian to receive such comfort in the troubling times that he went through in the Reformation, but also you and I as we look at the end time signs that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 13. 
And indeed, we know those lions are tempting. They are around, and they are not going to give us a single break ever, at least not on this side of heaven. But we know what the answer is, what the solution is. Go to our Lord, who assures us that salvation is ours, that these things that are happening are just temporary, and that he will be with us everywhere we go, even in the midst of hardships. As such, let us listen to Jesus' words. And let us follow in Luther's footsteps by remaining faithful to the word now and forever. Amen.